everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Crystal Clodcast. I'm your host, Laura, here as ever with Mia. Hello. You can find me on Twitter at OhMiaGod. I know it's kind of unnecessary to mention that at the beginning, but I just feel like I'm in the trend of doing it now. It's so a I thing. I, it. I think until until every single listener is following you on Twitter, we'll just keep saying it. Good because, idea. you know, self-promotion, <laughs> it's important. I'm also here as ever with Retta. Hi, I'm Super Retta on Twitter. And I'm Laura K. Buzz pretty much everywhere. I always realise, I, I let you both do introductions at the beginning. I always forget to introduce myself. Um... Today on the Crystal Clodcast, we are going to be talking about... Mm, before I say these episode titles, um, there's a... Okay, I'll say the episode numbers and titles, and then we'll do a bit of explaining, because mm-hmm. there's a whole big thing about episode numbers this week. We are going to be talking about episode 45, Rose's Scabbard, episode 46, Open Book, episode 47, Shirt Club, and episode 48, Story for Stephen. Now, this may differ from the episode number orderings you have, depending on your source. We got very confused by this because we found varying different sources saying what the the correct episode order list was, and we couldn't work out why. Basically, the intended viewing order and the order the episodes were created in differs from the order that they were aired on TV. Um, due to the season one finale Stephen Bomb, where five episodes in a row tell one cohesive story, the show creators decided to take three episodes, which are episodes 46, Open Book, 47, Shirt Club, and 48, Story for Stephen, and while they were intended to slot in here where we're talking about them, they aired at the beginning of season two, because basically just trying to get airing dates and things correct. We are following the Wikipedia list of Steven Universe episodes to set our order. So this may vary for you. These episodes for you may appear to be at the beginning of season two. We've given you our episode titles. We're doing it in what Wikipedia states is the intended viewing order, as well as the Reddit Steven Universe episode order issues master post. It was a very helpful post. It was a very helpful post. Basically, it was just because they wanted to get five episodes shown Monday to Friday. That didn't work with the three episodes they had in a weird block. So episodes 46 to 48, they moved into season two. For continuity, they're supposed to fit in here. That's where we're putting them. So Mm -hmm. if you're ever not sure, when we say episode numbers we're watching, it's the the Wikipedia list of Steven Universe episodes. Overall episode number is what we're going with. Mm -hmm. So did I explain that in a relatively (laughs) understandable way? Thank you for that explanation. I think you covered everything. I mean, the the bottom line is just... If you're following along, just use Wikipedia. Yeah, use Wikipedia and listen to the episode episode titles, we say. Mm. Those should be the episodes, but we got confused about it ourselves, so I'm glad we were able to clear it up, because we we had a good ten minutes this morning where we were trying to work out (laughs) what on earth happened Mm -hmm. when we hit episode 46 and why things were a bit weird. Yeah. Um, There's a couple of points earlier in the series where episodes are in alternated orders, that don't really make a big difference, but you may have had, like, I think 36 and 37 were in reversed order or something. Yeah, which is not a huge difference. No, but this is just, we are following the Wikipedia episode number list, that's how we're doing this one. So, uh, with that out of the way, do we want to start by talking about episode 45, 
Rose's Scabbard. Sounds good. I am yep. ready. Mm-hmm. Does anyone have a place they'd like to start us off on this? Um, so they begin in the battlefield, which we see a few times across the yeah, series. Yeah, that, that strawberry field. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that there's a big difference between how the Crystal Gems react to telling the story of the battle, mm. and that Pearl is very excited to talk about it. Pearl seems like it's something like really glorious and something to be proud of to fight in this massive interstellar yeah. war. Well, Garnet was just like, no, it was, which said, maelstrom, yeah, it destruction, was, and death. Yeah, uh, Garnet described it as a maelstrom of death and destruction, and then Pearl just chimes in, but we won, <laughs> so it's okay. Don't get sad, Stephen. We won. It's yeah. good. I think that's another instance of Pearl being overprotective of Stephen and thinking he can handle less than he can. Possibly, but she does start off this episode by trying to teach him. She is giving him context for the war, explaining, like, 5,000 years ago, this was a battlefield, this is what happened here. Yeah, it's very kind of, like, history teacher-ish. I think it definitely leads on from that last batch of episodes we watched, where Garnet showed to the rest of the gems, hey, if you give Stephen proper context, he makes better decisions. Mm. And that may be a part of why Pearl was like, okay, let's actually tell Stephen a little bit about what's going yeah. on. I Not think... anything big, but we'll tell him mm. little bits mm. as we go. I think another reason is obviously it's tied to Rose. She's very proud mm. of this because it's a moment where she fought alongside Rose. Yes, it's the period of her life that she's like, I was good and I did what I yeah. was supposed to. I was, <laughs> I was a good Pearl. Um, well, she was following orders. Oh, yeah. There, there is a line in this episode that I think is really interesting about her following orders, mm. but we'll get there. So they find Rose's scabbard, and Stephen doesn't instantly twig that it's the scabbard for the sword that he's already pulled out. Mm. Um, but he sees how excited Pearl is about finding this scabbard. Um I think this is the first time that we see that Rose is, as I wrote down in my notes, Rose is hella gay. <laughs> Yeah, I guess she, I would say that. Yeah. She she has a big old crush on on Rose, yeah. Pearl and Rose. All that there was a thing there. Before we jump ahead, yeah, like go ahead. Yeah, um, lions seem to know where the scabbard was. Yes, which is interesting. It's interesting that he knew where it was, but didn't go to retrieve it himself. Yeah, we're kind of like pausing it a bit. And... Yeah, like he's at no point before this being like, oh, that's where the scabbard yeah, is, like, I should go, get, go get, it. get it. It's just kind of like, oh, while we're here. While we're here, here, it's, I'll observe it. Yeah. And I think that's a big crux of this episode is Pearl's dislike of what is the deal with Lion? Why does Lion know about Pearl, uh, about Rose? Why does Lion have Rose's things? Why is... Lion comes to signify a lot of the things that she doesn't want to acknowledge about her relationship with Rose, I think. Yeah, Lion kind of breaks the fantasy in Pearl's mind that she was kind of like Rose's like number two and like special friend that they kind of, you know, discuss the secrets with. It's like, yeah. well, hang on, Lion knows this stuff and Lion has access to things that I don't even know about. Pe- Pearl is incredibly proud of the fact that she was confided in. She mm. talks about Rose, like, of course Rose had to have secrets. Um, she says a very interesting line, I'm not sure I agree with, that 
the mark of a good leader is knowing what to hide from the people <laughs> under your command. And I think that is why Pearl tries to hide so much from Stephen. Yeah. Because she thinks she has been a good leader in the way yeah. that Rose was. Keeping secrets as to not scare the people underneath you is what a good leader does, which is a weird stance to ha- a lesson to take from yeah. from from Rose's teachings. But um, we see later on, like there absolutely is secrets that Rose kept just to herself, like mm-hmm. Bismuth. Yeah, and that's that's the thing we do get to eventually is. Pearl is fine with the idea of Rose keeping secrets for the greater good until they're secrets from Pearl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. It Suddenly how... her stance. Mm. It's it's a stance that she only has because it's not about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she can defend it when she's not the one having things hidden from her. Yeah. Um, so, scrolling back slightly, when um, Pearl, when they first get back to the temple and Pearl is being very excitable about Rose... Stephen stops and asks something that I don't think we've really seen him stop to ask yet at this point. What was mum like? Mm. And it's his moment of just like, you knew her a lot more than I did. You know, all I've seen is this one video where she spoke to me for a few seconds and I might not have even talked to any of you about that. You know, what was she like? Mm. It's, It's really sad. It's this very, very sad moment. And Pearl paints a very one-sided picture of Rose. Yeah. It's very much, she was amazing and the best person ever, and she was flawless, and this is what you have to live up to. Yeah, I think Pearl is, in a way, the worst person to talk to about what Rose was like. I'm just thinking it sounds like a terrible pun, but you'll get what I mean. I think Pearl sees Rose through rose-tinted glasses. (laughs) She really does. I think, like... Greg would be a better person to ask about Rose Mm. because he at least at times acknowledges that Rose did things that weren't perfect because I think we've already gone past the episode where this happens where at some point Greg's at some point in the show Greg says like hey look your mum had to do things she's not proud of and I just didn't ask about that because that was in her past. That wasn't my business. Mm. Actually, no, yeah, that, that's not an episode we've seen yet. That's somewhere in future episodes, I, th- I think. Yeah, but... is that around, like, the Blue Diamond stuff? Yeah, I think it's around when they end up going to Korea briefly. It's, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like, would would mum have shattered um, a diamond and things like that? And Greg's response is just... Greg has the ability to be a bit more nuanced with his discussion of Rose. He's like, look, she wasn't perfect... She made mistakes. I loved her for these reasons, but these were things she also did that I acknowledge. Yeah, he's seeing her as a person and not as an ideal. Yeah, he's seeing her as someone with pros and cons and benefits and flaws Mm. and just as someone a bit more complex. Yeah. Whereas Pearl is just... She was perfect and I served her because she was perfect. Yeah. Um, So... Pearl tries to show off and take Stephen to the armory to be like, oh, she had all these secrets and I know where the sword will be and Stephen already knows about the armory and Pearl is like, well, you can't. This was a secret. I I knew. Mm. She doesn't seem to acknowledge the thought that maybe because Stephen is kind of Rose, maybe he'll know about Rose's things. Like, this is a place that is his. 
Why shouldn't he know about it? Yeah, she definitely sees herself as kind of the sole protector of information mm. on yeah. Rose. He it, also seems angry that he doesn't know the significance of the place. Yeah, she yeah. knows when, everything that yeah, gets like, revealed. Yeah, like when he's like, there's these axe things, and she's kind of like, oh, it's the axes of... Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like the, the suits of armour, she calls yeah. it the armour of the fallen. Yeah, yeah. which... We had a discussion on one of the podcasts, I think, didn't we, about yeah. what, what's the deal with this armour? I don't know what to make of that title, but the armour of the fallen... It sounds like it's people who wore it and died, then. Yeah. That's the kind of surface Like, meaning. is this humans that died in the gem war or Possibly. something? Or, it sounds like it. Or is it gem armour that's based on human armour? Yeah. E- either way, this is like, this was armour that was actively used in war as opposed to just like scavenged afterwards. Yeah, especially considering that Pearl recognises it and knows the name of it, you would think it's not something Rose collected because she just... Yeah, thought it was cool. I, I imagine it's something that was in some context used within the jam. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it was used. I, th- I think she's a bit she's a bit upset as well that Stephen's approach to controlling that room is so light-hearted <laughs> and silly, poking himself <laughs> in the face. It's, yeah, it's almost like disrespect. No, this is a serious place, and it's like her tone changed so much from when it's like, oh, I'll come show you because you have her gem and therefore mm-hmm. this is yours now. And like, this is yours, except you're doing it wrong. So it's not yours. Stop it. Yeah, it's, it's like, it takes away that power of Pearl to be like, I'm introducing you to this. I'm passing it on to you. Yeah. And she was like, no, I already have it. Yeah. I know it is. It's a situation again, though, where Pearl's actually been quite patronizing. Oh, absolutely. It's kind of like, well, I'm superior because I know things that you guys don't. Mm. And when that power is taken away, she starts to kind of panic and go, no, 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 you you don't understand what is yeah. wrong here, but yeah. that is wrong. So they all go back to the temple and we, we see that Pearl is really upset that secrets were kept from her. Um, she describes her relationship with Rose as, none of you understand, we had something special. She's very adamant that Pearl and Rose had a relationship that was different mm. to any of the other gems' relationships with, with her. <gasps> Um, anyone have anything to say on that or yeah I agree <laughs> I also think that um, I found Garnet's responses interesting on this episode she, Garnet seems to react in a way that's kind of like I know this is a thing and I know it's unhealthy and we have to just kind of deal with it yeah I find that interesting like she doesn't seem surprised by Pearl's when Pearl kind of goes a bit overboard. Yeah, Again, it's just kind of. She, like, she well, does... Amethyst also says, "I hate it when she gets like this." Yeah, it, it so clearly us... it happened. Clearly, happened like before. she's been very. She feels like she has an ownership over over Rose that she probably doesn't. Yeah, and it's like the other gems don't encourage it but they also don't really humor her they just kind of like sit back and let her go the more i think about this episode the more it feels like rose's effect uh, pearl's affections for rose were probably one-sided i think so in that it's very much like had it been a two-way street the other gems probably would have been like yeah you did have something special but it's like uh, you you thought you had something special but but mm, yeah mm. It makes you think about towards the end of the episode when Pearl creates the Rose kind of projection and yeah. kind of seeing the conversation they had. And Rose is kind of saying, are you sure you want to do this? And then Pearl's like, yes, I want to do this. And Rose says, I know you do. I find that interesting. Yeah. Because Rose is like, I know you want to. 
That to but, me read in a way where Rose is like, I know you want to please me, but that doesn't mean it's the right it, thing to do. Just because you want to stay here with me doesn't mean that you've thought about the consequences of the choice you're about to make. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of interesting bits from that conversation um, we'll get to in a sec. I did just want to stick on where that we're still in the temple and Rose sure. is. Um, uh, Pearl's upset about Rose. Stephen tries to comfort Pearl and... Pearl gets incredibly angry at Stephen and says, why are you saying anything? You never even met her. Which is really mean. That's a really horrible thing. Like, Stephen has literally just this episode for the first time been like, hey, can you talk to me about my mum? I want to know more about her. It's not Stephen's fault that he never met his mother. Mm -hmm. But it's like, nope, you never even met her, so you don't get get to have feelings about your mother. It's like kind of closing that door on him and being like, no, no, we knew her, you didn't. You're not as important when it comes to that. Matters of your mother, that's not your business. It's just horrible. Yeah. Um, So Stephen goes to chase after Pearl. Um, I just want to mention earlier on in the episode something really phallic that Pearl said when she's holding the scabbard and she's talking about the sword and she goes, nothing else could fit so perfectly inside. Yeah. That that moment is interesting because doesn't the camera like close in on her hand? Yeah, as she interlocks her fingers. It's definitely meant to be some sort of romantic connotation, Mm -hmm. if not sexual. Yeah. It's it's interesting considering that Rose ended up with a guy Mm -hmm. and some of that imagery (laughs) of swords and scabbards. Um, Well, she blushes when she says it as well, which is part of the reason it's kind of like... "Mm -hmm." Yeah, I think... You are insinuating more than just a sword and scabbard. There's something going on, like, behind what Pearl's saying. Definitely. Um, I think it's really sad that when Stephen's trying to catch up with Rose, he asks, um, please tell me, did I do something wrong? Oh, that broke my heart. Yeah, for the whole episode, Stephen never really says to Pearl, like, you're being ridiculous, you're being mean. Like, the whole episode, Stephen's basically like, okay, your reaction is normal, what have I done to trigger it? Yeah. Which is, in reality, it's the other way around. Was I wrong to look at this place early? Was I wrong to, like, tell you about the sort? Like, what did I do that upset you? Mm. How did I mess up? with Stephen, it's that he has a lot of weight on his shoulders. Yeah. Like, he knows that people are upset that Rose isn't here anymore. And he is aware that Rose isn't here so that he can be here. Yeah. So he will, whether people bring it up or not, he will have that responsibility on his shoulders that because of him, mm-hmm. his mother isn't there and people want slash need his mother to yeah. be around. Yeah. So he has to it's, live up to that. Yeah. I think, I think a big part of this episode is Pearl struggling with is Stephen or is Stephen not Rose? Mm. Mm. Because... There's moments where, like, she says somewhere near the beginning of the episode, like, you sometimes look like her. Um, And Mm. when they finally meet up at the end of the episode, um, sometimes you even sound like her. Do you remember this place? Do you have any of her memories? Mm -hmm. We were here 5,000 years ago. Like, she's having this moment of, like, is any of the person that I previously loved still here? It's kind of... Kind of messed up. Yeah, kind of messed up, yeah. It's, it's like, it seems in those moments that she would rather Stephen just transform into Rose. Yeah. Like, I'm Rose now, oh, Stephen's gone. 100%. If, if in that moment Stephen had transformed back into Rose and was suddenly Rose again, Pearl would have been infinitely happier in that moment. <laughs> Which is awful. Yeah, that's a really bad situation for a care, for a caring parent, parental figure to be mm. in of, I would rather my child was gone. Yeah. 
so that that person I liked was back. It says a lot that, like, if you imagine that, if that actually happened, like, Garnet's reaction, I really don't think she would... Her first reaction would probably be panic that Stephen is yeah. gone. Like, yeah. In, just picturing how the different chairs react in that situation, kind of like it works as a foil to show how unhealthy and mm. selfish Pearl well, is being. I think it's a really interesting mirror to look at Pearl and Greg as the two people who had romantic mm. interests in Rose and how they would react to Stephen being gone. That's a better is that. Yeah. Pearl would be happy that Stephen had gone and Rose was back, whereas Greg obviously misses Rose, but is like, look, she's gone, I have a child now, this child exists, and I wouldn't wish that, I would never wish them away to get the person I love, uh, that I previously loved back. That's just not a thing I would do. Well, we sort of see this later on, don't we, with the flashback episode when Stephen's a baby? Yeah. And the gems basically kidnap him? Yeah. And they're kind of like, how do we get Rose out? But, but Greg's not even like thinking in that. Yeah, it's like all. I have I have my son now, and that's that's yeah. that. Um, there's a there's a conver- a couple of lines between Pearl and Ho- Hollow Rose that I wanted to mention. Mm. Um, Please understand: if we lose, we'll be killed, and if we win, we can never go home. To which Pearl responds, "Why would I ever want to go home if you're here?" Mm. And it's the the insinuation being. When Rose is gone, what reason does Pearl have to stay? Mm-hmm. And I feel like Rose at this point maybe knew that she wasn't going to be around forever. Because Pearl says, yeah, why would I ever want to go home if you're here? And Hollow Rose chuckles. I feel like it's insinuating she knew she wasn't going to be around forever. Oh, she at least suspects that she might not survive this. Yeah, she's like, ha ha ha, you, you know, you're staying because of me, but that's... You know, if I'm ever not around, is that going to be enough? You're still going to have to stay here even if I'm not here? Yeah, that's what seems to be what the conversation's really getting at. Is Rose being like, this is real, this is serious, yeah. like this has real consequences. Are, are you doing this because of me? Or are you doing this because you are happy to actually live with the consequences of you're going to have to stay here forever with or without me? Mm. I mean, we've seen in previous episodes, Pearl is not happy with this outcome. She does miss being able to go home and be in yeah. space. So it's... I really don't think she was thinking... She she really did make a choice that she wasn't happy to make long term. And I think that's a lot of why she would rather have Rose back than Stephen. Is mm. that she's not here on this earth for Stephen. She's here for, for Rose and Rose yeah. is gone. And mm. Pearl's kind of a messed up character. Yep. <laughs> I love her as a character. She's fascinating. Mm. But, oh, she's a bit messed up. Yeah, every now and then there are episodes with Pearl in particular where I'm like... My my opinion of Pearl has dropped, and this is one of them. We we are surprisingly not that far off from when we get to the really messed up Pearl episode. Um, that that two parter that's the the like unconsensual sex allegory. Yeah, that's like not that far off. No. One thing that Pearl does say is um, to Stephen, she says, "Everything I ever did, I did for her." Yeah, which is foreshadowing. Do it for her. Yeah, yeah, but it also makes me think: Was she Rose's pearl? Uh, she, anyway, well, uh, Rose says at one point describes her as my pearl. Yeah. So whether they were originally a Rose and and pearl, or whether that's just the role they fell into as being a pair, but it I... seems like as much as we like to think that once the crystal gems got to Earth, they sort of fell away from the caste system that survived, uh, that exists uh, in Homeworld, 
it seems like Rose was more than happy to have a subservient pearl. Mm, I think that there's more than enough evidence here to speculate that Pearl was assigned to Rose back in Gem Society. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we the first, we know that Rose and Pearl were fighting as a duo before Garnet joined them, as we see in the yeah. flashback later on. I wouldn't be surprised if Rose had kind of a high position and had her Pearl. Yeah. And then when Rose rebelled, Pearl was kind of like, well, my loyalty is not to society, yeah. it's to you, the human, it, you it, the gem. It does seem like they have a slightly unhealthy relationship where Pearl doesn't quite see that even after she's rebelled against Homeworld, she's still in a subservient position Mm. that she's sort of... I don't think she always sees how much that impacts her decisions. Yeah. That she doesn't think about, is this what I want to do? It's, is this what Rose would want me to do? Mm. And that's not inherently unhealthy, but it does mean that, like, should the person that she's sort of committing herself to serving ever not be around, will you still be happy with the choices you made? Yeah. And will you be happy with where that leaves you? Yeah, I think she feels kind of empty now that Rose isn't there. Yeah. Well, it's like the um, extended theme when she says, I will fight in the name of Rose Quartz and, ev- yeah. and everything that she believed in. Yeah, it's she very much made her decisions based on assuming that Rose stays here forever, I would happily keep serving Rose and therefore I will make these decisions now. She never thought forward to, if I make these choices to please Rose, where does that leave me if Rose ever isn't around? What do I then have? Mm -hmm. And that just wasn't a factor she considered, which is probably a big factor in how she acts now, now that Rose isn't there. I think Mm -hmm. it's also a thing of being like, too reliant upon someone in a relationship. So that, like, if a relationship ends, suddenly one person's just kind of like, holy crap, I have nothing. My entire life is kind of gone. My <laughs> support systems. <laughs> I think there is a lot in their relationship which does mirror kind of an unhealthy romantic relationship. Yeah. And I think yeah. we see more of that across the episodes. A lot of it does seem to come down to, like, even if your intention is to stay with someone forever, just... Still focus on, like, are you happy with what you're doing with mm. your life outside of that? Because, you know, you never know what could happen. Yeah. And it's very yeah. unhealthy to dedicate yeah. your entire life yeah, to Yeah, to kind of feel like yeah. my entire being... Well, it's, it's just a, everything I ever did, I did for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like, that is not what the other person would want. No, it's you should be doing things with them for yourself. Yeah. Exactly. As opposed yeah, to for them, mm-hmm. necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, the Pearl wonders like what would what would she think of me now? And at this point she seems to have acknowledged like you are not Rose, you are Stephen. Mm. What would what would Rose, who is no longer here, think of me now? And Stephen just says, Well, I think you're pretty great, and gives her a hug and she cries and mm-hmm. it melts my heart. It does and... me. Every time oh. I get like tears from my eyes, I'm like, oh. I Stephen. forgot how much I loved the end of this episode, because I, I feel like this is a really big turning point for Pearl in terms of like, okay, Rose is gone. This is Stephen. I need to bond with Stephen. I need to stop pushing Stephen away just because he's not Rose and acknowledge this is Stephen. Let's build a new bond. Mm. I have mixed feelings. Go on. Yeah, go ahead. Because I think that like um, from like an outside point of view, I think it's a really good ending. 
but kind of to talk about kind of continuity in, in universe I don't think Pearl deserves that ending oh no she doesn't and I that kind of bugs me a bit because I think Stephen deserves better than what well, because I mean in that moment Pearl runs away yeah and Stephen goes after her Stephen nearly falls to his death yeah Pearl makes no effort to go and help him she no, merely yeah. looks over the edge to ensure to see if he's dead or not and then when he's struggling to climb up, she's like, okay, it's fine. And she goes back to feeling sorry for herself. Yeah. One thing that I want to mention is that it reminded me of the Giant Woman episode in that when Amethyst tries to get Stephen to do on the, the jumping platforms, mm. she's like, what are you doing? That's too dangerous for Stephen. But when she's too busy thinking about herself, she doesn't care. She's like, I'm going to run away. I know he's probably going to well, follow me, but... There's a thing, like... I have a theory about this, which okay. is during the Giant Woman episode, where much earlier in the series, Ro- uh, Pearl still has hope that this is Rose, that Rose is in there somewhere. And as such, I can't let you fall to your death because then I lose my chance of getting Rose back. Here, in this episode, she is coming to terms with the fact that this isn't Rose and therefore she doesn't have that same urgency to save him. And that's kind of a dark yeah, reading. That's, but... that's kind of why it annoys me. Like, I'm yeah. annoyed at I, I'm totally on board with you that, like, Pearl doesn't deserve this ending. And the fact that she gets this ending without earning it is probably why she continues to do some messed up stuff in later episodes, is she's not been forced to learn her lesson. She's been given a happy ending she didn't deserve and kind of sidestep learning her lesson. I still think from the outside that it is a very sweet thing to experience, to see, and it's nice to see her have that moment of a little bit of like, okay, Rose is gone, but I am still loved. Mm. Even if it's not deserved by her as a character, it's still a sweet moment to see, I think. I can understand that. It also says a lot about Stephen's character. Like, clearly Pearl was the one in the wrong the entire time, and yet he's still kind of like... If I can make you feel better, I will make you feel better. He doesn't care what she did. He cares about her being happy again. Well, it's what Stephen does. He wants everyone to be happy, which leads into the next episode. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the last thing I wanted to say is I really like their little bonding montage at the end where, like, Stephen's doing silly things with the stuff he stored in Lion and um, then he starts getting out Rose's stuff and giving Pearl a chance to sort of, like, excitedly tell... Because he says, what was mum like? The ending, he does get to find out about his mum mm, from Pearl. Because she true. sort of acts out like, oh, this is me with the sword and the the, yeah, the, the flag and these were our adventures. It's a really good um, bit of animation because obviously yeah. there is no dialogue. But we can mm. see through um, Pearl's actions and waving the flag around. Like, you can she's see telling her story. passion, her excitement. But you also see her, like, Stephen's, like, pulling ropes out, uh, like, flags out of line and, like, gives her, a, like, a hat and, and scarves. And she's just... Stopping to enjoy Stephen being Stephen, mm. which is something that up to this point none of the gems have really done. Because Stephen has tried time and time again to be like, these are things I enjoy and I find fun, and the gems often dismiss him. Yeah, I think this is the first moment we get of a, of one of the gems stopping to be like, let's just enjoy Stephen doing Stephen's thing for what it is, and actually enjoying it. Mm. Which is a sweet moment for Stephen to get. He gets to learn about his mum. They have a nice bond here. I think it's also, like, in the Pearl accepting that Stephen isn't Rose. It's kind of like, Rose is gone, there's nothing I can do about that, but look at what I've gained. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I have Stephen, and Stephen is doing this where he's trying his best to make me feel better. Yeah, she does seem to understand uh, that bit, that he is doing it to kind of make her feel better, and she's going along with it. It's very different from the birthday parties, for instance, yeah. earlier in the season, when Pearl was just completely... Why would you say that? <laughs> mm. Yeah, so that's everything I had to say about episode 45. Me too. So... Right, with that, we shall move on to episode 46, Open Book. And that's episode 46, Open Book. This is where the episode numbers start messing up, so follow (laughs) Wikipedia, episode 46, Open Book. Who wants to start us off on this one? I'm happy to go. Um, I I never like starting. You might have noticed. People often look to me and I'm just like, "Mm -mm." mm-mm. We we uh, want to make sure we give you the option to if you have something you're burning to say. I don't don't want to talk over you or anything. Um... So this is Connie kind of... Talk- Stephen finishes the book series, yeah. which we talked about we, we, last episode. We get some nice continuity. Yeah. yeah, and I find it amusing that Connie is clearly the conspiracy theory type fan. She's like, she oh, is very into her fandom. Yeah, she's like, this is ruined because the publishers obviously tried to make it more mainstream, and that's why it's not yeah. as good as it would have been. It's basically like conspiracy theories combined in with like a passion for the series and a lot of like strong feminist ideals yeah. which like I can empathize with all of <laughs> those things but I do love her like media critique stuff here as someone mm-hmm. that does like reviewing for a living she has really well very well described opinions like even if I you know you might disagree with her opinion she explains herself very well yeah that's what I like like she's actually talking about like actual theories based on media representation it's It's not not techno babble it's not just i didn't like the ending because it wasn't what i wanted it's It's these are these are the themes throughout the books that i was enjoying and this is why for me it felt like a departure from those themes um i like that she um last week the word of the week was pastiche (laughs) we got very excited when she said pastiche Mm -hmm. in this episode um i have her review i thought the ending of the book was a disaster all the books leading up to this seem to be ta- talking, uh, taking on and subverting these witch tropes. Really self-aware about being a pastiche, you know. But in the end, none of that even mattered. Lisa and her talking falcon, rebels challenging the stifling traditions of the magical bureaucracy. I loved that. Then her falcon turns into a human and they get married. It completely dropped the anti-authoritarian stuff and described a wedding cake for 50 pages. Um... <laughs> I, the books got so popular, I bet the publisher put pressure on the author to water down the ending for a larger audience appeal. Unlike art, the real world can't always win against the iron chains of authority. And that's my theory. I want to say something about this critique bit. Mm. I do wonder how much of this is them talking about Steven Universe mm. um, and about where they want that ending to go. So, um, Rebels challenging the stifling traditions of the magical bureaucracy totally is is the gems fighting against mm-hmm. Homeworld. I feel like this critique is basically saying, hey, any other series is probably going to end with, hey, let's forget about this authoritarian stuff. There's probably going to be a romance between two characters, brackets, Stephen and Connie, and they'll have a happy ending of romance and that'll be where the show ends. And that the show writers clearly aren't happy with the idea of that being where Steven Universe ends. Possibly. That that was my I mean, reading? I think 
I, I agree to an extent, but I mean, this episode does actually play with the idea of a Stephen and Connie romance, and then he's like, ah, you thought we were hinting at it, but we're not. We're actually talking about something else. Yeah, we're, we're not talking about, um, like, because the wedding dress, like, heavily implies it's going to be a romance thing. And, and it's like, like tell, her, tell her how you feel. Tell it's her like, how you feel. No, just admit that you like schmaltzy wedding dresses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it's it plays with the audience expectation of, oh my yeah. god, Stephen likes Connie. Also, I have one other thought about this as a, a thought about um, the ending of season one of Steven Universe. Mm. I feel like the, uh, the the publisher put pressure on the author to water down the ending for a larger audience appeal. I wonder if this is the show creators knew they were ending season one with the reveal that one character was a lesbian relationship <laughs> and that there was probably pressure from Cartoon Network to water that ending down and to not have Garnet be a lesbian relationship. It's entirely possible. And that they were pushing back against that. Well, there was all the stuff with censorship, wasn't there, where they just removed a lot of the lesbian stuff? It's really important to acknowledge this now, because we did have some comments from Twitter people about this. Oh, yes. Some of the episodes we've talked about in the past, um, a a good example that people have mentioned is the the episode on the island. Um, Mm. What was it? I can't remember what it was called. Island Adventure. Sounds um, right. When so. we we were shocked and we didn't remember the kiss between Sadie and Lars, mm. I believe that was censored out in the UK version, and we've been watching the American version for this. It's possible, yeah, it's possible. Yeah. That's why we literally didn't see yeah. it. So I've seen it before, though. Well, but I watched it with you, so you must have seen it before. Okay, maybe I just have a bad memory. Then. <laughs> yeah. Well, the point <laughs> remains: there are going to be points going forward in this podcast where things will have been edited out of UK versions of the show that we are going to see and discuss here. So mm-hmm. if there are variations between what we say happened in terms of a romantic moment and what you saw on an episode, there's your explanation why. Try looking up that clip on YouTube to see. I know that there is an example I can point out that we will get to, which is when Rose and Pearl are dancing in a flashback in the near future. Yeah. Um, the romantic two ladies dancing that leans into a kiss is heavily cut down and replaced with shots of Greg. Yeah, it's to, just like Greg's face or his yeah, guitar or something. Yeah, to tone down the mm-hmm. the implications of homosexual dancing. Mm-hmm. Just like, that's a bit too gay for us. We're going to have yeah. to tone that right down. So We could go on a huge rant about it, but mm-hmm. I think we don't need to. Yeah. It's obvious. I, <laughs> we, we don't know off the top of our head all of the examples of this, mm. but just... There are some other weird variations, like I know in Russia, Ruby is male, and mm-hmm. is the only gem to use male pronouns to avoid um, Garnet being a lesbian. Yeah. Um, so, like, there are some weird things that vary region by region. Some violence as well, I believe. Yeah. I think the finale, the Jasper versus Garnet fight, they put some, like, flashes into the UK version to cover, um, like, impacts. Yes. Like, I think Jasper being punched, you don't actually see the punch. Yeah, so we are talking here about the American version wherever possible because that's where we see the most of it. Mm -hmm. If there are things that we talk about that you don't see, it may be due to an edit that you've watched. Yeah, There's not much we can do about that, but just so we're acknowledging that bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Either that or we're just very forgetful. Yeah. (laughs) That's the other reason. Well, no, there's there's some of them I know (laughs) are due to edits, so that'll be a thing. Mm -hmm. But um, no, I really like Connie's review, even if like it's totally subjective and Stephen has his own reasons for disagreeing and yeah. I like that the episode does end with 
I disagree with your opinion on this piece of media, but that's okay because we can both eloquently yeah. explain why we think. I love things. it. I love that the whole the whole idea of this episode is basically like you don't have to agree with your friends. Like yeah. you can have different opinions, As- and that's okay. It seems to be following a theme of don't do something just to please someone else. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm amazed how many times our Batch of Five episodes has like a running theme of the week. Um, as someone that does a lot of reviewing for work, I've recently been experiencing a lot of, I reviewed something and had a dissenting opinion on it and therefore my opinion is wrong. It's like, mm-hmm. no. Internet commenters... Please watch this episode and realise that two very different opinions can both be valid. Mm-hmm. Well, like, I studied um, fandom on yeah. a postgraduate course, and, like, going back to what I mentioned before, Connie's idea of, like, oh, the, the publisher obviously changed it. Is some, that's something that I, like, looked into a lot with um, the publisher, the manager, like, whoever's overseeing the creative process is always the villain. And yeah. that's who the fandom always attack when it changes. And I just thought it was an amusing little nod. It is interesting. I read your dissertation, so I remember reading all about <laughs> yeah. this. It, go go look at my Twitter as of, like, the 14th of April, because I was tweeting a bunch today about... Uh, my thoughts on opinions and subjectivity in reviews, because that's a thing that's happening a lot at the moment. Cough, cough. I didn't like ukulele, but other people did. Um, so yeah, they they go into Rose's room and they're going to make a new ending to the book. And Connie is very ambitious initially. She wants to create the Infinity Fair. Sorry, oh. I inhaled a cat hair. <laughs> and it was, went like up my nose and it's making my eyes fall. I was trying to like continue as normal but you look like you're like on the verge it's of It's because I was like I'm either going to sneeze or I'm going to do something weird but it's okay I got it. Okay, you got it, you're good. Right. Um, So yeah when she's told that she's being too ambitious with uh, creating an infinity fair mm. it's like maybe just half of the infinity yeah. fair. I like how that's a oh. nod back to the room trying to create the whole town and completely yes. glitching up. Yeah. And her forgetfulness that, oh, half of infinity it's is still infinity. Still, still infinity. <laughs> um, so they instead create, like, oh, Stephen's going to become the Falcon and mm-hmm. Connie's gets a, a costume shop. I like that while Connie is portrayed as someone who is very, very, very detail-oriented about that book series... When she's creating a costume of her favourite character, she's not obsessed with making it completely accurate to one moment in the book. Yeah, she's she doesn't stick to canon. Yeah. She plays she's, with the elements. She's like an obsessive that. fan, but she's still happy to be like, no, I'll pick the elements I like and mi- mix and match mm-hmm. them, even though that's not canon. They're basically creating their own fan fiction. Yeah. And it's really nice to see someone who is that passionate about the piece of media that they're like, I have these feelings about the ending. But also isn't like, I need to be canon with yeah, my costumes. Yeah, elitist. Yeah, that's it. She's not being elitist. She's like, no, it's fine. Just do what's fun. Yeah, Does this count as LARPing? I guess so. <laughs> For them, I, anyway. I suppose it kind of is. LARPing it's, it's, meets fan fiction. It's yeah. an Im- improv LARP. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so Connie goes into the dressing up room and... Stephen says, I want to see you now, and obviously fake go. fake Connie comes out. Um, the fake... I, oh, sorry. I was yeah. going to say, I, yeah. obviously the first time I watched this episode, it, didn't, it took me yeah. a lot longer to catch on, but this time I was kind of waiting for the moment, and it's so well done. Yeah, like oh. I was waiting for the moment when you can tell. That like fake Connie comes Connie out. Connie is very opinionated, and she mm. often tries to kind of steer... 
Steven a little bit, especially because it's like her fandom. She absolutely adores this yeah. thing. And as soon as she's kind of like, what do you want to do? That's all she does. Yeah, it's seeded so quickly. Like, if yeah. you know what to look for, it, you can pick up on it straight away, is the room version of Connie consistently asks Stephen what to do. She knows facts, but she does not have opinions. Yeah. And Connie is very opinionated. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's your clue, is... She know she knows things because Stephen knows them. She doesn't have her own opinions, yeah. which is a great mirror of Stephen at the start of the episode, trying to mirror Connie's opinion yeah. rather than having his own opinion and being mm-hmm. honest. Yeah, and he's suddenly seeing like, oh, when someone else just mirrors your opinion, you don't have fun. Yeah, like that's not actually a good thing. Well, you can see yeah. it starts stressing him out, and he starts to get really panicky. Yeah, and he's kind of like, stop saying that. Why do you keep saying that? <laughs> Um, I, I do like his line, um, these turkey legs were made from free-range turkeys, and they didn't do what anybody wanted. <laughs> I did like that. I was like, okay, Stephen does not know what free-range means. <laughs> yeah, no, they're just rebel turkeys. Yeah. <laughs> no rules. Um, so Stephen accidentally creates a paradox by asking the room's version of Connie not to do what he wants. I don't, I don't just want you to do what I tell you to. And... The room is like, I have to obey you by not obeying you. Yeah, it's like a paradox loop. And its solution to this seems to be, I will disobey everything you say. Yeah. Stephen doesn't pick up on this, because he could probably have made use of that by being like, I want you to keep following me, because this is really fun. Yeah, and instead he goes, stop following me, yeah, as he, he runs he away. Clearly, I like how the show clearly has this rule in place, even though Stephen doesn't realise this is mm-hmm. what's happening. Yeah. Um... I do think that Stephen's a little bit foolish for not realising he could just make a big cage to put Connie in. Because <laughs> he can still create things. He could just be like, I want a cage that Connie can't get out of. And then Connie would be trapped yeah. and he could deal with Connie. It's very like simplistic thinking of like, I want to run away. So I'm just going to run away and just get away. Yeah, um, You'd have to uh, be careful to make sure he caged the right Connie. <laughs> put yeah. Connie in a cage. <laughs> I, I do love when he tries to poof the fake Connie. And she half poofs and the cloud's still there and it reforms. Mm. And it's like, no, you wanted me to disobey you. I'm not going to dissipate. I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh. It's like, it's kind of scary that yeah, moment. Yeah, it's the whole Terminator 2 thing of like, yeah. they've defeated it. Oh God, it's coming back. Yeah. Um, so this is where we get our first good example of real life Connie wielding a sword. Mm-hmm. Um, because she wielded it a little bit in dog co- the dog copter episode, mm. but here no, she she fights herself with a sword, mirroring Pearl and Hollow Pearl. Mm-hmm. It's also very like cringy though, because that with Hollow Pearl, she's like a different color and it's very robotic. But when Connie like slashes the cloud Connie in half, it looks really realistic, and yeah. it's kind of like oh god, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've got here the line that um, that fake room Connie says to Stephen that's our sort of crux of the episode. I know you like her and I know you want her to like you too. That's why you can't tell her the truth. And it's very much set up, as you were saying, to be like, oh, you like her? Yeah. It's like, no, you. It, it was literally just, you like her, you enjoy her company and value her opinion Mm -hmm. and you want her to to also do that and that's why you're lying about your opinions because you you don't want to lose a friend over disagreeing Mm -hmm. like i said don't do something just to please the other person is the theme of these episodes it's really clever moment i just love how they use the wedding dress (sighs) in a way that's like 
we put that together kind of as an audience as being like, yeah. oh, because Stephen wants to marry Connie. It's like, no, the wedding dress no. is. He from the he book. liked the, yeah he liked the the wedding dress from the book yeah. and yeah. I just realised something um, mm. when the cloud Connie first comes out of the costume shop. Stephen compliments Connie and is blushing, and at the compliment, the cloud Connie blushes as well. Oh, trying to give him what he wants. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I I think that like the whole point of I've I've wondered for a while why the cloud Connie dissipates at the end hmm. because it says I can't remember exactly what it says, but it basically is just like finally you've done what's going to make you happy or something to that mm. effect and then it vanishes it's like wait weren't you supposed to not do what Stephen wanted and a bit of me is thinking like was the room aware from the start what's going to make Stephen happy is talking about his real opinion on the book that's where we're shepherding him towards yeah I think that's a good explanation I, I could see that that it's all kind of like the bottom line of making Stephen happy is repairing this yeah. kind of rift between him and Connie and, where he's holding back yeah. and he wants and to be able to connect with them. Once, once he's honest about his feelings about the end of the book, he no longer needs the room mm-hmm. and therefore yeah. the room just dissipates everything because it's yeah. like, no, nah, it's fine. You, you know what you want now. Yeah. You can you can Done. get that happiness outside of the room now. One thing I was going to say, like, Stephen, you know how he gets more and more uncomfortable when Cloud Connie is just kind of like, what do you want to do? Well, what yeah. do you think? It could also be a thing that Stephen is not entirely comfortable with being in charge. He doesn't mind taking charge on occasion, but he doesn't want to completely lead it and everyone just look to him kind of going, That's possible. so what What are we doing? What's going to go forward? The way I read it is that Stephen's getting stressed out because he's like, I'm doing this to please Connie because what I want more than anything is for Connie to be happy. Yeah. And then Connie's just like, what do you want to do? And he's like, um, and he's trying to, yeah. he's like, well, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for you and I don't yeah, know what you like... want. So how can I make you happy? Because that goes back to the beginning that his reaction is, all about how to make her happy. He's he's doing the same thing that the cloud Connie in the room is doing of, I'm just trying to do whatever you want. Exactly, yeah. Like, he's trying to do the, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. And he's basically, like, cloud Connie is basically doing what Stephen was trying to do. Yeah. Like, they're both doing the same thing. Both of them are like, what do you want to do? Let's well, make you happy. Well, it is created from his conscience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... <laughs> So yeah, eventually Stephen opens up and Connie suddenly realises, like, it's completely unsurprising that you liked the end of the book. You are all into schmaltzy stuff, you know. I should have realised that you would like 50 pages of of cake description. (laughs) Well, it's also very Stephen. Like, he's very naive. He wants everyone to have a happy ending. Yeah, absolutely. It completely fits his character. Yeah. And, you know, the ending is just... It opens up for real debate and discussion when it's okay to disagree on media. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a nice moral to teach. Absolutely. <laughs> I do like as well, there's the moment when, from this episode and the other episode with the book, the message we kind of get is that Connie sees all of the subtext and kind of everything that's going on in this series and Stephen takes it at a surface level. 
But at the end of the episode, Stephen's like, "Oh, didn't didn't you get it when he was crying?" And Connie's like, "Oh, I thought it was just because like they yeah, lost the sword." It's, or she missed the emotional subtext. Yeah, and Stephen's like, "No, no, it's because he was scared. And he was worried about her." So Stephen actually got yeah. more from the book as well. Archimicarus didn't know that she had ice magic, therefore <laughs> he was sad because he thought she died. So I think that's a nice moment that it's not that Connie sees all this stuff and Stephen misses it. Stephen sees it, the emotional yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's he's reading a different way into the book, and that both reading are valid yeah it goes back to the whole like um i'm going back to academic stuff now but yeah <laughs> like theories on like art art belongs to the consumer oh we there is an art belongs to the consumer discussion to be had on the shirt episode <laughs> oh yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> we we get there that's a theme that re- returns but yeah no it is really nice that even though none of us have obviously read the book because the book does not exist, but both of them like are able to justify their opinions about a piece of media and be mm-hmm. like, I like this and that, and this is what I got from it, and this is why I like the ending, and this is why mm-hmm. I didn't. And, and they, they got different things from the same Both product. of them sound like they are making reasonable arguments that, even having never seen this non-existent piece of media, we can, as an audience, be like, yeah, you sound like you're reasoning your argument out and defending it well. Exactly. It's... I want someone to write these books. I think they can have already exist uh, if you want to just like read Dark Materials or Harry Potter. Well, or... I was going to say, if you go on the internet and search for them, some <laughs> fanfic, <laughs> some fanfic <laughs> author will have written this series of books. Yeah, I imagine So as long as you don't mind them being non-canon, you can probably go read this series <laughs> of books. I kind of want them to do the whole, like, metafictional thing now, where, like, Rebecca Sugar writes the series and releases it, like, completely... I would Why read... Why not? I Science would... dog is a thing. <laughs> with, like, with, with, um... It's not a spoiler, but, like, with Dark Tower, there's a book yeah. in Dark Tower that this year Stephen King has published as a book under the name Beryl Stevens. And Beryl Stevens is the woman in the series who writes the book. So now that book is a real book, even though Beryl Stevens technically doesn't exist. I, I'm a big fan of that kind of stuff. And <laughs> yeah, I the one thing that amuses me at the thought of this being written as a real book series is Rebecca Sugar would have to write 50 pages about a single cake. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think she could do it. I think that any author, no matter how skilled, would struggle at 50 pages of cake. Mm, I but... think she could pull Um, so does anyone else have anything else on 46? No, that's everything from... Okay, so the next one is episode 47, Shirt Club. Stephen draws a crude picture of his dad and shows it proudly to the gems. Like, he... It's kind of a crap picture, but he's incredibly excited and he just runs down to be like, Look, look, fake mums, I drew a shirt. It's an incredibly childish, not in a negative way. No, it's... Like it's an a, innocent way, but like, I, I made this picture and I'm proud of it. Like, it, look. It wouldn't surprise me if he was expecting them to put a, to pin it on the fridge with a magnet. Yeah, exactly. It's it's him being less emo- like less mature than you would expect a child of his age to be. Mm. Like, you would expect that out of like a six-year-old maybe to be like i drew this can you can you Mm -hmm. look at it please which you know it's totally okay but it's it is one of those examples where it's like this is not the behavior you expect of a like a teenage character necessarily which was like alluded to last episode is something we get to eventually like we do see that but his sort of non-agingness yeah which is an interesting discussion to have when we get there yeah um so he ends up how how does he end up showing this picture to Buck? Um he Oh, he takes it to the big donut because it's a fly for his dad's oh, yeah. guitar dad business and then 
uh, Mayor Dewey's son Buck comes in. I had actually not made any notes on that because, to be honest, I made very little notes until the end of the episode. Mm. There's not I, a lot mm. to talk about that's particularly interesting there's, until we get to the. There's a few things. So when Buck comes in, um, before he sees the guitar dad thing, Lars. There's an interesting discussion to be had of Lars trying to impress the cool kids here, because Buck asks for a salad of some kind, and Lars says, yeah, I'll go make you one. There is no salad in their back room. No, I don't not. know how he thinks he's going to make a salad. He's just so intent on He has to him. please the cool kids, yeah. therefore it's... I will foolishly agree to make you a salad. It's completely in line with everything we've seen of Lars so far, which is he yeah. wants to be liked by the cool kids. Yeah, and he <laughs> will he will agree to things that he cannot physically do out of panic of what if they don't like Just me. saying it follows the context, doing something because yeah, you think the yeah. other person wants you to do it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so Bucks sees the, the drawing and is like, hey, we should make this into shirts for your, your guitar dad business. I just want to mention something about Buck. Mm. Yeah. He wears the same glasses as Garnet and he has the same kind of aloof attitude that Garnet has. If yeah. Actually can't I, I thought about that and I don't know what to make of that. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like, even his lips are drawn, like, the same way. Like, he okay. could be... I, I wonder if potentially he's meant to be the Garnet of the Cool Kids group. Yeah. And I'm wondering, like, are there analogues for Pearl? Oh, because Sour Cream has the same skin colour as Pearl. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Amethyst would presumably be, uh, like, Kiki, possibly. Yeah, I think so. And then is there a Steven analogue in the group? There is four of them. I just can't remember who the fourth is. Unless Steven's just meant to be Steven. Yeah. Because he hangs I, out with them and gets I, along in them we, so well. This is not a thing to try and come up with on the fly, no. but there's probably... <laughs> like, I'm curious to have a proper look and think, is there an analogue between the Crystal Gems and the Cool Kids? Mm. Which would explain Garnet and Buck and Sour Cream and Pearl. It's also another thing of... Uh, Lars might actually like Steven if he gave him a chance. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um... So they they go off to they get the mayor's supplies for making shirts. Um, I like the mayor's attempts to seem cool. Um, welcome to Bench City, boy. Yeah, and doesn't he like quote Jimmy Carter with like peace in the Middle East? Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's a quite an obscure reference for children. Peace in the Middle East, teens. <laughs> like he's he's a bit out of touch, but he's trying to be down with the kids, mm. boy. But I, it's it's. It's another of those jokes where, like, the older crowd will get it, be like, oh, look how incredibly out of date he is in trying to be yeah. up to date. Um, so, something I think is interesting about Buck, we do get one bit of backstory for him. He went to a Montessori school, mm-hmm. which, if anyone's aware, is basically, like, American posh school for young children that basically is like, we're going to worry less about subjects and lesson plans and more about creativity and fostering your creative attitudes Mm -hmm. and I think that plays a lot into he went to a very artsy school as a young child for posh kids did try to draw something for his dad and it was probably mocked which Mm -hmm. might have been where he lost his passion for innocent attempts at creativity I think reading between the lines I think that's definitely implied because he does only see the art in 
an ironic context. Yeah, it's it's presumably he was in a place that was trying to foster creativity. He tried to create and was mocked for it, and that's probably why he has a very critical view of yeah, art. It's like his he's taking control of that situation by now he is part of the group mocking. He's no longer the kind of innocent naive person because that's Stephen yeah. taking that role. Now he's part of the the critics. Yeah, so they make the guitar dad shirts and. Um, Buck's focus is on making the art controversial. Um, using a t-shirt cannon to fire shirts at people. At so their the, heads, specifically. Yeah, so the shirts just drop into people's lives. Um, there's, a bet- there's a better example of it later on, but the shooting from the top of the clock tower yeah. is totally like a mass shooter mm-hmm. allegory. It's creepy as hell. It's, it's not too creepy this first time it's like oh that's weirdly like a mass shooter the second time is blatantly the second time is blatantly like here's some glasses on everyone runs screaming as they're getting hit by this shooter on the clock tower he he even pulls it out of like a guitar case yeah he's he's, like assembling a rifle it's the second time is like a very deliberately and he disappears into the shadows yeah he goes back into the shadows kind of like creepily amused it's it's like you can kind of see the allegory happening the first time but it's like no it's playful it's fine and then later it's Time he keeps zooming in on like one side of the goggles that Stephen's looking yeah. through, so it looks like he's looking through the scope. the scope of yeah. a rifle. It's it's so weird to have that be the reference in a kids' show. Is here is the shooter on the clock tower, mm-hmm. like um, yeah, the, this thing that actually did occur. Yeah, that's that's a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Stephen goes to see his dad, and his uh, Greg tells him like, "Hey, no one's buying guitar." dad lessons but they are coming to see me people think that it's cool that they can go see like that's where guitar dad is i don't think anyone's necessarily openly mocking greg in front of his face no but they find it amusing that's like ah it's you it's guitar dad and that just kind of makes them smile yeah they um is it key here that says you're hilarious yeah Yeah. and i think that's it's I don't know about you, but I read that as she's, like, laughing with him. Like, yeah. Like, oh, this is so funny, but, like, Buck sees it as, like, let's laugh at him. Yeah, I think most of the town are not laughing at Greg. I think mm. they're laughing with him. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, you're that, ah, oh, that's a cool character that yeah. you made. Oh. But Greg will like the recognition anyway because he was trying to be a rock star. It he is... wanted to get that recognition. I think, yeah. I think it is interesting that... Um, there isn't a moment in the episode when Greg finds out and is hurt. It's Stephen that's hurt because it's his art that's been kind of reappropriated. Mm. We don't see Greg kind of like, oh no, I'm being oh, portrayed as Greg's like, Greg's oh, I don't care too much that no one's taking lessons. It's nice that they're, you know, aware that I do guitar and yeah. that they, they want to see me. Well, Stephen says, like, how's your day going? And Greg's like, it's going great. Yeah, like, I haven't <laughs> had any lessons, but I had a great day. Everyone mm. wanted to say hi. Yeah, exactly. Um, I also like that when they are doing the t-shirt cannon, the first thing that Ronaldo thinks is like, oh, it must have come from the sky, it's aliens! I do like, yeah, that Ronaldo's like, aliens have made contact. To be fair, it is kind of an alien that shot him with <laughs> that up. t-shirt. I think it's amusing that this is never, like, followed up on. No one ever, like, like Stephen never goes and tells Ronaldo what's going on. He, he watches him have this reaction. He's like, okay, next question. <laughs> um, Buck finds Stephen's naive love for his dad amusing. He's like, ha ha, you love your dad. <laughs> yeah. Like, in, in fewer words, ha ha, you love your dad. Mm-hmm. But Book had the same thing as we saw when they went to yeah. print the t-shirts. Exactly. I know, yeah. um, we do get there. Um, so Stephen panics, he's he's worried that his dad will get upset about this, slash he's upset about reappropriation of his art. Um, 
I love the gems' reactions. <laughs> have the shirts come to life? Yeah, um... It's an emergency. You have to help me get rid of all the shirts and stop Buck from making more. Have the shirts come to life and possess the bodies of their wearers? Are people catching on fire when they put on the magic shirts? Are the shirts destroying the wearers' will to continue on this mortal coil, thereby shutting down Beach City? No, they're, um... They're just using my art in a way I don't agree with. The art is no longer yours, Stephen. Once you put art into the public consciousness, it's the audience's Mm -hmm. thing to... You know, interpret how they do the death of the author and yeah. such. There's a great quote in. Um, oh, it was, it's, oh, I'm trying to think now. It's it's from. It's not death of the author. It's it's older than that. But there's a quote that was um, critiquing poems. I mentioned it in my dissertation. You'll have read this, right? Um, where it says the poem is not the creator's own. It belongs to the reader once it's being yeah. published and that's yeah. what this is like, it's, you, the creator has no control over how their work yeah. is interpreted you, or repurposed you can uh, tell people as a creator what your intention was but that doesn't inherently make your intention more canonical than yeah. the the commercial or the wider interpretation of your art mm-hmm. it's, it's that whole thing when people talk about um, critiquing poetry where it's like if you're critiquing a poem and the, you know, it talks about the curtains being blue, an art teacher might talk about how that was an allegory for the author's depression. Mm-hmm. The author might then say, no, I just made yeah. blue curtains. But if enough people interpret it as being like, oh, we know this author has depression, this was an allegory to their depression, mm-hmm. that becomes a perfectly valid canonical reading of the intent of the blue curtains. Mm-hmm. Even if the author is actively against yeah, that interpretation. Because you know, art becomes the the consumer's, mm-hmm. you know, piece of art yeah. when they get it in their hands. Basically, art is entirely subjective. Exactly. And um, this goes back to art is subjective, so reviews are subjective. Stop telling people that they that their opinion is <laughs> it should be objective. Yeah, there is nothing... There's no such thing as a wrong opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can't have an objective opinion. No. Yeah, like, yeah, every opinion is bias. Like, yes, that's just how opinions work. Yes, every the, forms an opinion from the, their the own. The second you think you say I think or I like this because you've you've gone into the subjective. Mm-hmm. Um, is that why you say that my opinion doesn't matter when I tell you that you're beautiful? <laughs> well, I <that> got dark. <laughs> <laughs> well, you always say like you always said. Well, you don't count. You've got to say that. True. Like you do think exactly. That. So really, I'm just coming from the academic point of view of um, art being subjective, of of me being the art. Well, that that means that I, as an outside observer, can say you're cute, and therefore, <laughs> ha ha, you can't tell me my opinion's wrong. Darn, my theory is yeah. working against me. <laughs> um, so yeah, Stephen shoots Buck, Buck's art on T-shirts. So basically, he he makes Buck understand his opinion of like, hey, it's not nice to like share someone's art with the intention of it being mocked mm-hmm. by shooting the, the shirts that have his art of him and his dad on them. Yeah. Everyone finds them kind of funny, except for his dad. And it's glossed over really quickly, but Maya mm-hmm. Dewey finds it really sweet yeah. that it's like, oh, it's a shirt with that art that I really liked. And, oh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a nice moment. Well, he probably thinks that it was actually it's Buck's sincere, idea. Yeah. Yeah. Because Stephen does it to be kind of like, ha ha, this, I think this Stephen, is revenge. I, I showed that you have feelings too. Ha yeah. ha. I don't think he does it in such like a malicious way. I think it's... Oh. 
more to do with him getting booked to understand how he feels. I, I I think that's largely it, but I think there is some malice in it because of the whole creepy mass shooter vibe. Yeah, yeah. Like, that that you can't have that like shades on cannon out of the guitar case I'm going to shoot everyone from the top of the clock tower without some degree of malice being interpreted actually the, the thing that he says before he does that when he says oh he'll he'll pay they'll all pay or something yeah. along those lines it's very like it's all teen teen creepy. mass shooter yeah. stuff it's ugh Buck does Ooh. learn his lesson. He comes and apologises to Stephen, and Stephen's like, don't worry about a big apology. The fact that you came here, it's like, you, you get it. You got my lesson. You understand mm-hmm. what I felt. And Buck goes to get a lesson from Guitar Dad. <laughs> Which is nice. Yeah, he's it's like, cute. I may have mocked mocked your dad, but I'll, I'll learn from him. It'd be, mm-hmm. it'd be nice. I'm like, oh, Buck, you became less of an arsehole over this episode. You have learned. Mm-hmm. Anything else for 47? And the only other thing I was going to mention is going back to Lars's reaction at the beginning of the episode, Lars finds the t-shirt hilarious along with everyone else. He, mm. Which I think is a notable... One thing about Lars, though, he at first goes, what the hell is this? And then when he sees that it's Buck, who is one yeah. of the cool kids, he goes, oh, this is oh, awesome. He I'm talking about the end of the episode when um, with the ones with yeah. Um, oh, yeah. on. Then Laz is going along with the crowd. Yeah. Well, to be fair, that the majority of the cool kids are laughing at the That's show. That's true. It's if he wants the cool kids to like the, the the largest number possible of the cool kids to like him, he should mock the shirt. That's true. Yeah, which is kind of depressing, but <sighs> I should try to redeem yeah. you, Laz. But no, no. <laughs> Again, doing things to please others. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, that's everything I have for 47. Mm-hmm. Um, and our last episode of today is... Story for doing... Stephen. Story for Stephen, yes. Uh, episode 48, Story for Stephen. Um, so I like I like a lot about this episode. This, this is the first episode I'm aware of where we get this formula that does repeat of Greg telling Stephen a story about the past that involves... Him playing a bunch of music to Stephen because Stephen likes to be played music by his dad when he when his dad tells him a story. Mm-hmm. Um, who is that? That's my pal Marty. He's dead to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's uh, an amusingly kind of dark moment in that he he's kind of like nice and happy as he's talking about it, and he's like, "Oh yeah, it's him. Yeah, he's, yeah. De- he's dead to me." He initially seems like like he's Stephen esque naive about mm. it. It's like, ah, you know, he was mean to me, but he's, he's, he was my pal. No, no, he, he was mean. He was, he, he's dead to me. Yeah. I learnt the error of my ways. Uh, I love Greg's line of, I may be losing my hair, but the magic's still there. <laughs> yeah, he still, he still knows he can create and stuff. Um, so basically, this is the story of Greg and Rose meeting, now featuring Marty. Mm-hmm. Um we get Like a Comet at the start, which, honestly, probably one of my favourite songs in Steven Universe. It's definitely up there for me. I think it is one of the best. It's it's really sweet in that it, it's the best insight I think we get into what Greg was like when he was doing music full-time. Mm. Um, he was incredibly passionate about his music, even if no one else cared about it, and that didn't matter to him. Mm-hmm. Like, he was playing a show for maybe one person alone on a beach with some empty chairs out. 
he still felt like he was, you know, on a big stage, rocking out, changing the world, you know, mm-hmm. some multi-million dollar artist. And I think it's really nice that he he had that passion. Mm-hmm. We talked about it before, didn't we, I think, early on into um, our episodes that Greg is a character that we see when he was younger seemed to be very passionate and was kind of chasing fame to an extent. Yeah. But now he has... He's clearly not doing that in any way. Anymore. Yeah. He he used to be a character who knew that the pursuit of creative uh creative careers was probably not going to work out long term, but he didn't let that stop him from pushing for his dreams regardless. Like mm. there's lyrics in that song that are about like, you know, um he, he he talks about the fact that eventually he's going to fly like a comet, soar like a comet, crash like a comet. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, he's going to have his moment of this is what I'm doing, I'm doing what I love, and it's going to come crashing down at some point. But that doesn't matter, because from the moment that he hits the stage, he hears the audience calling his name, and he knows it's been worth it all of the while. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's really sweet. It is just this really nice view of someone that is so passionate in it has such an internal satisfaction from the creating he's doing that it doesn't matter if no one else cares he still feels like he's the coolest person in the world because he gets to do this for a job exactly and i think it goes really well with the next bit when we see that despite you know thousands of voices calling my name yeah. there's literally one person in the audience and he, he was he was bothered. and he was surprised he mentions like positively to marty like Oh, it was great. One person showed up this time. <laughs> Which like, I think is awesome. He's played shows for no one before, probably. Yeah. And he probably still put just that same energy exactly. in. And it's really sweet. It and uh, it's lovely. Did anyone else think that Marty looked like sour cream? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, we know that that's his sour cream's mother that he's hanging out with. Yeah. Um, yeah, is onion? Is it? Is it ever confirmed? Oh, I think. Yeah, that, I think it is confirmed. No, that's his dad. Um, is it the? Oh, okay, let me check. I'm sure that that's a thing. I'm I'm checking this up live. So can you okay. discuss around me for a second? Sure. Because yeah, I do think it's a bit odd. I always forget her name. What's her name? L- L- it, I want to say like Lucretia. It begins, with an, it begins oh, with an N, doesn't it? It ends in like Dahlia. I'm going to call her Dahlia. Yeah. Like, she, she's the one who's really good friends of Amethyst later on when she comes back. Because mm. she's Onion and Sour Cream's mother. And we see oh, Vidalia. Yeah, it is. Vidalia, um, yeah, Sour Cream's his son. That was confirmed. It's when, oh, he, okay. comes, it's when he comes back into town and Greg's car washes oh, for okay. cleaning it up. He meant, like, Sour Cream mentions that that's his dad. Because there's the whole episode where um, Sour Cream wants to be DJing. Yeah, and his dad because oh, because yeah. um, Marty comes back into town, he's like, "Hey, you know, I'll give you the tech to do this." But then he's pushing his zucchini energy drink or whatever mm. it was. So was sour cream conceived in this episode too? In the back of the uh, van during Greg's show. Oh god, yeah, that was for Dahlia, wasn't yeah, that's what it? I'm yeah, that's god, what I'm saying. Oh. Yeah, this is where Vidalia conceives sour yeah, cream. That's, oh, that's what I'm getting it. Like, she's obviously like a groupie for Marty at the end of the episode. Marty just drives I, off I without it, her. I didn't put it together. That I've watched this episode so many times, <laughs> I didn't put it together that that's that Vidalia. Yeah, yeah that's Who her. has sour cream. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Um, so, yeah, no, that is... This is where sour cream gets conceived. Yeah, because oh, yeah. Marty then just leaves town without her. So I yeah. think she's kind of like the groupie yeah. that he's... Well, the, the implication is heavily there that... He he bangs Vidalia. She gets pregnant because he Marty's gone off. 
she remarries and marries um Onion's dad. Onion's dad, and that's why they're like stepbrothers or whatever, or half brothers. That would also explain why sour cream talks, but Onion doesn't. Mm. Yeah, that that would explain that. So yeah, that's that's the whole deal there, and we will certainly get to at some point the relationship between Marty. Um, Also, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page for this character. Apparently, at some point, Amethyst nicknames him Farty Marty. Oh, okay. I don't remember that I happening. I think it's that's... the one where Amethyst meets up with her um, and they talk about how they used to all hang out together. Oh, yeah, and... do you still see Farty Marty? Yeah. I'm guessing. I, I think that's what it is. I, I did not remember the Farty Marty <laughs> nickname. It just kind of jumped out at me. But um, yeah, so no, that's, uh, that's, that's Marty who mm-hmm. rolls into town, makes, <laughs> makes it look like he's a manager for a famous musician probably does this every time he goes to a town like goes and has sex with people and then well, drives off what does he say about like to greg you want one giant woman um, when you can have many like small, small women. yeah why would you want one giant woman when you could have multiple small ones yeah he's clearly not very committed to her so no he's he's just he probably has kids in a lot of towns <laughs> probably um well he was meant to be manning the uh merchandise stall. yeah so what yeah. was he doing off in the van oh, he, was, he was having sex in the van um <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Um, I hope for Greg's cleaned his van. Yeah, yeah. So um, Rose, uh, Rose turns up to the show, and there's a conversation between Greg and Rose where Greg's album is called something like "One Way Trip to the Cosmos" or some mm. "One Way Ticket to the Cosmos." And Rose asks, "How are you going to get back?" Greg doesn't intend to. He's like, "No, I just go to space and never come yeah. back." I think Rose's line is really telling. Mm-hmm. It'd be really awful to never return to your home. She's obviously referring to us. Yeah, she's talking from experience. She knows, like, hey, your romanticised version of leaving home forever is not how the reality works out. Mm-hmm. Which is sad. Um, Greg wants to give Rose a free t-shirt. And on his quest to do so, he bumps into Amethyst the Death Owl. <laughs> I do like how Amethyst just completely messes with Greg. It also shows that Amethyst has always really enjoyed shape-shifting. Yeah, and she's still the same old Yeah, because she's character. just hanging out as an owl. Greg mm-hmm. is totally, like, under undershocked at, like, <laughs> this is a talking purple owl. Mm-hmm. Well, he seems a character that's very laid back. He seems very him... accepting of everything. Yeah, I can see him just being like, I guess this is a thing yeah. because I'm experiencing where's, it. Where's that magic pink lady? Well, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you! <laughs> um, mm. The temple exists, but the house does not. Yes, it's a cave at this point. Because clearly, like, the gems are happy to live in a cave because they're rock people. Mm. So somewhere along the way, they built the house. Well, we already know they built the house when... Stephen um, was involved, yeah. Yeah, when Stephen was little. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I think they're just finishing building it up in the intro to the extended trailer. Yeah, it shows you it um, being built and then yeah. appear and get The, the extended finished. intro, I think, is around the time that they finish building the house at okay. the temple. Okay, cool. Um, Amethyst seems to be the most... silly now. Of, of, <laughs> <laughs> of all of the gems, Amethyst seems to be the most open to interacting with humans. Yeah, absolutely. Is that because she's an earth, an earth-based gem? Well, yeah. not exactly, but she'll have grown up around humans. Mm. Humans have always existed in her yeah. world, but to Pearl, humans are a very, very recent thing. 
to, to Pearl and Garnet, humans are an alien species, mm-hmm. whereas to Amethyst, they're from the same place she's from. They share a planet with her. Yeah. I think as well, it's telling that Amethyst is the one hanging out on the fence, kind of, which looks across at Beach City where the humans are. And Pearl, for instance, she mentions, like, oh, yes, throw him over the fence and, like, you know, the, the sign that says, you know... The, yeah. the humans to stay away. This is our place. Amethyst is just like, yeah, sure, come over, whatever. Yeah. I also find it funny the signs because you can clearly see that Garnet's done the one that says um, "keep out," and then Pearl's written one underneath in like hollow fancy cursive that just says "please." Is it Pearl <laughs> or is it Rose? My interpretation was it's Rose, but I'm honestly not sure. Mine was Pearl, just because. Well, Pearl's kind of... It clearly wasn't either Amethyst or Garnet. No. One of them has... I, I took it as Rose because Rose seems like she would be much more open to being soft and gentle about her approach to keeping the, the gems out. Mm. Where Pearl would do fancy writing. Mm. She probably wouldn't say please to the humans to stay out. She'd be like, stay the hell out, get away from my Rose. <laughs> um, That's my take on it. Um... One thing yeah. I wanted to mention, it is actually like pretty obvious here that Amethyst's long hair does come from the fact that she really liked Greg's hair. Yes, she yes. has short hair. I never picked up on that till this viewing, that like she really likes Greg's long hair and that's why she eventually decides, let's have long hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she looks more childlike yeah. here. Yeah. She's smaller and she has the short hair. He's and so cute. She definitely had some degree of idolising Greg at some point. Because, mm. like, we know that they tried being friends for a while and that yeah. she styled her longer hair after him. So, like, she clearly didn't hate Greg, mm-hmm. even if she can be a real arsehole to him. <laughs> um, one of my favourite Greg lines in this episode, no one can ignore the universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're so, you believe so strongly in yourself, Greg. I, I love your passion. <laughs> Um, gems don't use clocks. No, Pearl, so what did she say, like, when it says, what time is it? Yeah. Uh, night time? Because, <laughs> obviously, they don't have, like, jobs and nine-to-fives. They just do stuff mm-hmm. when it needs doing, yeah, and they it, don't sleep. So it doesn't matter to them. It's yeah. like, d- did something happen somewhere that we need to go and deal with? That's when we go. Mm-hmm. That's the time <laughs> that we go. So they've had to learn the concept of time, yeah, that's a recent thing. <laughs> for for Stephen's benefit. Um, Greg dropped out of community college to follow his passion for music. Mm-hmm. Which, again, says a lot for his passion for it. Like, he was clearly trying... He wasn't... He wasn't the smartest of people, but he was trying for an academic career and then saw the opportunity of, I could go out on the road and do music and that could be my job. I'm... I don't care if it's not the most sensible thing and if it's probably going to end up crashing and burning at some point. I'm willing to put aside this thing I don't like and I'm not very good at to follow my passions. I'm like, oh, Greg, you're lovely. (laughs) Uh, What else do we have? Um, I do like that um, when... Well, basically, I just really like the fact that Pearl says, I can sing. Yeah, she's immediately <laughs> jealous of Greg. Yeah. Which straight away that happens. She is jealous of a human with no powers because he's creative. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're in the van and Marty's driving Greg off, Greg at one point strums the guitar without using his hands. 
Okay, I missed that. <laughs> oh, one of the guitar strums, like, he's got one hand on the neck of the guitar, mm. one of his hands raised up, like, doing, like, a yeah, yeah and, and the guitar does a strum. <laughs> okay. uh, there's one strum, I can't account for how he strummed. Um, magic guitar? Magic guitar, did he strum with his foot? He Did strummed he... with his penis. I I was trying to avoid that. I was like, <laughs> how, how do I allude to the fact that like maybe Greg strummed a guitar with his penis? Well, he does have some pretty strong feelings about aliens. Well, and he is talking about a song for Rose. That, that was that was what I was trying to. How do I tastefully say this? Does he have a big, big, uh, lo- a big hard love for for the alien he's singing about? <laughs> oh, Mia looks so ashamed of us. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're dirty. But it, it, I really, I had that thought like the last time I watched this episode, and it made me chuckle when I watched it this time. Just right. I was watching this episode, just being like, ha, 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 he's strummed with his penis. <laughs> <Thank> uh, <you. laughs> oh, Mia, you are the the like the garnet of our situation right now. You're kind of like, okay, calm down, kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, Greg wants a giant woman. His son sings a song about wanting to see a giant yeah, woman. Obvious like reference. father, like son. Mm-hmm. Um, Greg eventually kicks Marty out of the van and drives back for Rose. I also noticed while Greg is in the van, there's a box of the shirts that Stephen always wears. Yeah. So that'd be why Stephen was always wearing the pink shirts with the star on. Because it's old merchandise. Uh, That is a really nice point. Um, I like that when Greg goes driving through the streets in his van, it's an homage to the intro. It's kind of mm, the same camera angle and the van kind of like skids at exactly the same moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he he, he runs back and starts singing. He sings a second song in this episode. He's sort of, "What, what are you doing here song? That it's, it's, it's a really nice, sweet song. It's just... Oh, oh! You you like the space lady? I think more than anything else, it shows that Greg has a lot of talent. Like yeah, he's very good at his job. Like, yeah, he just comes up with the song on the fly. He is definitely a talented musician, even if he's not marketing it very well. Mm. It's not for lack of talent that his career doesn't take off. Yeah, and we know that later because one of his songs ends up being remixed as a like a commercial jingle. Like mm-hmm. he can write good, yeah, well put can, together yeah, music. He can write music. Um. He does his... Yeah. I just want to say, I think it's really rude that he just smashes down the fence with his van. <laughs> it is really rude. I just really think that's so rude. He does it for love. Yeah, I can forgive him. I don't yeah. know. I think I'd still be pretty pissed if someone just like drove through our fence and kind of like, <laughs> I love Laura. I feel like, that's cool and all, but you are paying to get that fence fixed, okay? <laughs> I think that's a, a fair agreement. <laughs> if you replace the fence, then it's okay. Um, so... Rose tries to send Greg away at first. Um, I've got some of the transcript here from it. Please go away. Greg's response, I'm sorry, did I... And I'm assuming that sentence was meant to be, did I do something wrong? Very much like his son. It's the, am I at fault here? Did I mess up by mm. coming here? I must have a dirty mind, because my brain was immediately like, is he going to say, did I interrupt something? <laughs> Oh, possibly. I, I read it as, I'm sorry, did did I do something wrong? Yours is probably I, I the correct reading of it. I've just um, got a dirty mind. You're awfully cute, and I really want to play with you. Yeah, I wrote that one down too. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Rose really starts off with an unhealthy relationship towards Greg, and we've talked mm-hmm. about this before, I think, yeah, this, yeah. this sort of... 
she sees humans, at least at first, almost the same way that Pink Diamond did, where she kept them in a zoo as, yeah. like, pets and like, play. Oh, they're amusing. Well, they are pink. Yeah. it's It might be a pink gem thing, but mm-hmm. she definitely... The relationship between them starts off really unhealthily, and eventually it does build. Like, we, we've not seen whatever the midpoint is where she goes from, you are an amusing pet to play with, to you are an equal that I want to, you know, give my life to share a child with. Yeah, we, we see a little glimpse of it in the Rainbow Quartz song, don't mm-hmm. we? But not much. Yeah, I feel like there's like there's a big episode that needs to happen at some point that shows us the midpoint between those, because it's a big jump that happens mm-hmm. in Rose's character, yeah. currently with no real justification. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, I really want to play with you, but your life is short and you have dreams. I won't let you give up on everything you want. That's going to be a problem. You're everything I want, and they're 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 kind of sweet together. But he, yeah. like, he does very quickly throw away like he. It seems to be a thread for Greg that he's very impulsive at giving up what he's attempting to do with his life to follow a new passion. Be mm-hmm. it giving up on community college to do music, giving up on music to see Rose. Yeah, like he, he this episode opens with him singing the song about how like important the music is to him and then by the end of the episode he's like oh it doesn't matter anymore yeah it's i think that he was foolish to throw away the music to some degree like he Mm. he could have kept creating music while being with rose but in his mind it's like no i have to show you that i'm passionate about you by putting aside this other passion yeah i think that's meant to be like his big romantic gesture yeah, and he doesn't give up music completely because we That's see true. like we know he still plays and performs. Yeah, like his uh, the four Stephen tape that we eventually see does have him being like I'm Mister Universe. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think he still considers himself like that rock star, even if he's not actively pursuing it as a career anymore. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's my thoughts on this. Is just it's. There is one last line that Greg has that I think is interesting when we go back to Greg and Stephen in the van. Marty was awful, but I guess I owe him a lot. He made it easy for me to stay. Mm. And I I do wonder how much of him staying was to do with wanting to be with Rose and how much of it was to do with him realising Marty's a really bad influence in my life and I should probably leave him. And also, Marty was taking 75% of everything. Maybe he just assumed like giving up if I'm gonna give up having Marty as my manager that's the end of my music career Possibly. and that he assumed mm. he couldn't do music anymore because he gave up his manager maybe I don't know I thought it was interesting but yeah. that's that's everything I have on this episode yeah I have nothing else yep, we covered everything I talked about hooray so that's that's a nice you know look into Greg and oh next episode's gonna be fun because everyone next episode we're talking about the five the five episode run of the end of season one. I really want to do this one. I'm so oh, excited. <laughs> oh, I know. There's a bit of me that's just like, can we just like finish this podcast and then record the next one straight after? We could do that, right? <laughs> well, considering the next episode's probably going to be a long one. <laughs> yeah, next one's probably going to be a long one. You know, we'll do it another time. But uh, 
Yeah, this has been another episode of the Crystal Clodcast. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed. Uh, time to do self-promotion. Mia, where are you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at OmiaGod. I'm also on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash MiaViolet. I really need money right now, so any sort of pledges would be really appreciated. And ensure the podcast can continue. Not that I'm holding it hostage. I'm just saying I'm really poor. Hooray! <laughs> Retta, where are you? I'm just super Retta on most places on the internet. S U P A R R A Y T A R. That is it. And I'm at Laura K Buzz pretty much everywhere. Thank you very much for listening. We'll have another episode for you again next week. Bye. <laughs>